listening to the Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Welcome back to the Parenting Junkie. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Ah, today's guests are going to be helping us to talk about video games and screen use with young children, and they are particularly qualified to do so. Now, if you listen to any of my stuff, you might find me a little bit uh, Jekyll and Hyde when it comes to screen usage, because honestly, I find it a really confusing topic. I can't come out with any prescriptive, um, you know, answer to screens. I can tell you what we do and that changes from season to season as we learn different things, experiment with different things. Frankly, just like everything else, the answer is a la Magda Gerber. It depends. It depends on the child. It depends on the screens. It depends on the family. It depends on what they're doing on the screens and all of that stuff. Um, But I think we just want to keep our ears to the ground as parents and really be aware of our intuition and of the latest research and just being attuned to our children uh, to make those decisions around what the healthiest approach is when it comes to screen uh, screens. And that's why I am so very, very excited uh, to have our guests on today, um, Olok and Kruti. Dr. Olok Konojia is actually a world-class addiction psychiatrist, and together they've actually founded an entire organization that is there to help us Uh, approach screen usage, video games in particular, but all screen usage uh, in a healthy way. And it's called Healthy Gamer. So you can go to healthygamer.gg to find out more about them. But Dr. Konojia is a psychiatrist, a reformed gamer himself, and his training includes working at the world's leading medical institutions, Harvard Medical School, McLean Hospital, and Massachusetts General Hospital. And he himself is a recovering game addict, video game addict, and they have two young children and they are navigating this world of healthy usage with screen time, uh, both as parents themselves and, you know, through the therapy that they do with other people who are struggling with this. So I'm so very excited to welcome on our guests and for you guys to hear more about their um, very grounded, very balanced, I think very empowering approach for us parents. So let's go ahead and play that interview now. Parenting Junkie Show, Alok and Kruti. Thank you so much for making the time to be with me here today. Thank it's you. our pleasure. Um, guys, would you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So we started um, a company called Healthy Gamer. I'm a business student and my husband, co-founder Alok, is um, the medicine. So he, <laughs> he and I started dating college when he was a gamer Um, and he still is, but we basically went through maybe 16, 18 years of just seeing gaming really impacting our personal lives, people around us. And then, um, the world health organization classified gaming disorder. And we said, you know what, we think we know more about this than pretty much anyone else. So that's when I wanted to build healthy gamer, basically to give all of a platform to reach, you know, more than he's a psychiatrist by day, but um, you know, you can only see like 30, 40 people a week doing it that way. So I wanted to give them a platform that helps them reach gamers kind of where they are in a format that works for them. So we started Healthy Gamer. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, so. I I struggled a lot with um, video game addiction when I was in college and high school, and sort of came out of it. Spent a few years studying uh, yoga and meditation with the goal of becoming a monk, um, and then sort of met Kruthi, and then that that changed our <laughs> my trajectory in life. Um, so kind of put my life back together. Ended up going into medical school and becoming a psychiatrist. And while I was training training to be a psychiatrist, I went to a lot of my my teachers and mentors. Um, and asked them what they thought about video game addiction, and no one really knew anything. Mm. And one day it hit me that like most of the mental health world, like if we think about who are the the leaders in the field of psychiatry and mental health, they're all in their like 50s and 60s, right? That's who experts are. Um, but society is changing fast, and I think medicine sort of can't is is really slow to keep up with things. And um, you know, parents are facing a lot of problems with video games, and it's become so commonplace that it like parents just don't know what to do because everyone's kids are playing games. I was talking to a school teacher who was telling me that, so she's a second grade teacher and a hundred percent of the boys in her class play this game called Fortnite and about 80 or 85% of the girls play Fortnite too. So society has just changed so rapidly. Video games are becoming um, more involved. They're becoming more engaging and it's creating tension between parents and, and, and children. Um, it's cre- creating tension between parents themselves yeah. because they may not have di- they may have different ideas about how much is a problem, how much isn't a, isn't a problem. A lot of times, you know, the the male uh, parent will have played has more of a chance of playing video games and may have played a lot of them, but they sort of came out of it on their own. But the big difference is that like when I was playing games and when I was addicted, those games were way less addicting than the ones that are made today. So now video game developers, they hire psychologists, they hire behavioral economists. Um, you know, they use a lot of like predatory psychology. And so it's, it's a different world and parents sort of don't really know how to deal with that. And so that's why we sort of started Healthy Gamer. Hmm. So what are the big issues that parents should look out for if, you know, and my son plays Minecraft, he's always asking to play Fortnite. And I have to say, just on a personal level, and and, and my audience knows this, I'm always so torn when it comes to my relationship with the screen. You know, I am not technophobic. Here we are having this conversation. My entire business is built online. I love the media uh, and the mediums and what it offers. And I think that we have to raise children who are literate and comfortable and there's no point fighting it. And I also hear all of the whisperings of, oh, you know, Socrates said that poetry would spoil the next generation. And, you know, then it was the printed word that would spoil the next generation. And now we're just, you know, crying wolf that it's technology versus the people who are saying, no, it's actually like cocaine and you're just giving your kids, you know, an addictive substance and saying, good luck. Where do you stand and what should we be looking out for? What do we need to know? Yeah, so I think it's it's a really challenging situation because things are changing and also becoming commonplace. Like that's the way that business is done now. You know, it's all about apps and, and technology and engagement and online presences. Um, so how can we sort of create a healthy exposure to our kids in terms of this is the way that the world is? Um, also not isolate them from their communities because if if everyone else is playing Fortnite, you know, one way for a child to feel super isolated is to not let them play Fortnite. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, how does a parent sort of find the right balance in terms of exposure? So I think a big, uh, um, so the short answer I would say is that if it causes a problem, it is a problem. Mm-hmm. So 
our philosophy in, in healthy gamers, so I'm an addiction psychiatrist by day. I, I deal with a lot of people who have alcohol issues and things like that. Um, so, I mean, I, I understand addiction very well. And I think that in substance use disorders, we tend to think about abstinence as the only way. And so some people are applying that philosophy uh, philosophy to video games. So you'll have these kind of- Or screens in general. Yeah. Right. Right. So like to say like no YouTube, no Minecraft, no Fortnite, no nothing. But our our mission in Healthy Gamer is to help people become healthy gamers, mm. right? To find that balance between, okay, how can I play the game and enjoy it and still build a healthy and fulfilling life outside of the video game? Mm-hmm. And what we really look at is, is inability to do that. So if it causes a problem, it is a problem. So if people aren't, if kids are not sleeping right, if they're not doing well in school, if people are not professionally advancing, I work with a lot of people who are in their early 20s. So if you're sort of living at home in your mom's basement, you know, and not really, if you're not able to find sort of romantic um, engagements, if you're not having friends in the real world, if it's interfering with your physical health in terms of weight, if it's interfering with your mental health in terms of social anxiety or depression, if it's causing a problem in some major part of your life, then it is a problem. Hmm. And for younger kids, I think you see that with like disengagement from like if if the kid used to really love like being on the basketball team or something like that, and then you see kind of the skew going the other way. I think for younger kids, it's a little bit different, but a lot of those kind of general like emotional health, social health, physical, mental, or real world, like those are the five kind of dimensions that you would want to look at. Hmm. But your philosophy, I mean, we have two kids like, and they watch Frozen. They know the song, you know what I mean? Like there is something to be said for what technology offers kids in a really positive way. Um, A lot of great storytelling, a lot of like kind of like social kind of advancement. I mean, there's, there's a lot of good there. So to us, it's about finding the balance and like keeping what's good and mitigating the negative. Yeah. So how do you advise parents do that? How do they find the balance? So they need to look out for the fact, I'm just to, to, to mirror what you're saying, they need to look out for the fact that the kids are okay in every other area of their life, that the gaming or that the movies or YouTube isn't affecting their friendships, their health and wellness, their sleep at night, you know, eating, getting outdoors, and being time, spending time with the family, et cetera, and getting other work done, like whatever other projects, like if they're not, they're losing interest in their basketball or their arts and crafts, then that might be an encroachment on another area of their life. What else do we need to do in order to facilitate the balance? And perhaps you can also help us with some language around it. Sure. So I think, um, you know, the first thing is that a lot of times the challenge that parents face is that it becomes child plus video game against the parent. Mm -hmm. The parent is stepping into sort of this restrictive role and the child wants to play the game. And so what you're creating in your home environment is like an antagonistic relationship. So the first thing that we explain to parents is talk to your kids about playing video games. And so just concrete tips. So most of the conversations around video games come during a time of frustration with punishment around the corner. You know, a parent will approach a kid and ask them like, or talk about video games when they're staying up too late, you're trying to get them to go to bed, you're exasperated as a parent, the kid is, has been playing for a while, so they're going to like their, their mood is going to be more irritable. So the first thing is to have conversations around gaming that are not contentious. 
So when, when your child comes home from school, so something that we recommend, for example, is a weekly check-in where you sit down with your child and you sort of ask them like, how's your week going? You know, how do you feel about how much you're playing video games? Are you playing too much? Are you playing too little? And then for you to sort of encourage conversation and also talk about your child's goals. So what are the things that they want to accomplish over the week? Can you guys find some common ground in terms of like, what do you think is a reasonable bedtime? What do you think is not a reasonable bedtime? And the cool thing is that, you know, we sort of, um, we kind of equip parents. uh, So we have a course online and we kind of equip them with certain tools. Like for example, if the kid wants to pick their bedtime, that's fine, provided they wake up without difficulty as well. And so, you know, instead of saying, no, you need to go to bed at, at, at 10 p.m. at night, if I have trouble waking you up, if you don't wake up on your own by seven o'clock, then you have to go to bed earlier. And the cool thing is that you sort of let, let the child sort of exercise some um, agency within the household in terms of like making their own plan, but also hold them responsible. And so a big part of what we try to do is create a sense of shared responsibility and shared goals. And talk to your child about, you know, what, what do they want? What are their goals? And then how can you kind of align with them? So then it's both of you working on the same team. And games aren't necessarily the good guy or the bad guy. It's just how do they fit in with the rest of our goals? The other thing that is kind of cool about some of the insights that we've kind of found um, is that not all gamers are the same, right? Not all games are the same. So the gamer that gravitates towards Fortnite isn't going to be interested in the same offline activities as the kid that gravitates towards Minecraft necessarily. Um, So kind of trying to find like what type of gamer you have will figure, will help you understand your child just as a person, right? Like, Mm. are they more artsy or do they like to build things? Do they like adrenaline and like high intensity things? Do they like competition? So we kind of go through that too. And I think that helps parents figure out not only the balance, but like, if you're trying to push them into something offline, what is going to actually successfully engage them? So they don't feel like, oh my God, my mom's sending me to art school. <laughs> what is this? You know, when all they want to do is like run around um, and do kind of more like competitive sports. Mm, yeah. A hundred percent. So if I can just piggyback off of that a little bit, if you've got more questions, Avital, just, you know, feel free to jump oh, in. 200, but we'll wait with that. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I think just to kind of zero in on, on Kruthi's point. So one thing that we encourage parents to do is talk to their kids about why they play video games. Mm-hmm. So a lot of parents will try to restrict it, but they never ask the question, what is it about this game that's fun? And a lot of times the kids themselves don't even have sort of the maturity to understand what's attractive about the game. Right. But when, when I work with uh, parents and especially like teenagers, like what, what we begin to realize is like, you know, there's a, there's a child who maybe has acne or is overweight, gets bullied at school. And when they're in the video game, they, they're none of those things. They get to be whatever they want to. And so when a, chi- when a parent tries to take that video game away from them, what you're taking away from a child is a sense of like non-judgmental community. And so the more that parents talk to their kids about why they're playing video games, it helps them formulate the right alternatives. So like what Kruthi was saying, you know, people who, so there are six, there have been some interesting studies that show that there are sort of, sort of six psychology, uh, six psychologies of gamers. So there's like the adrenaline junkie, there's the explorer. So someone who likes to play Minecraft is interested in exploring. Mm-hmm. So we'd think about like kind of nature or kind of like, um, you know, Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts is something that we have in the U.S. 
um, you know, those kinds of activities because that's going to scratch the itch that your child has Mm. versus someone who plays Fortnite is super competitive, is going to be a little bit more aggressive, needs to really be having like martial arts is like a a great substitute. So in order to get the kid to sort of re-engage with the real world, um, a conversation around video games is a fantastic way to understand your child, understand what they're getting from it, and then offer a healthy alternative that actually scratches the same itch. And that's how you make a healthy gamer because then the kid, instead of playing Fortnite for four hours a day, is going to love going to like his martial arts class three times a week. And that's healthy for him. It builds confidence. Um, You know, he learns a useful skill. And so that's really our approach. So I, I love everything you're saying. I find it so interesting. And before we, before I carry on down that line, I have a question for you because we, we all build off of the assumption that playing Fortnite for four hours a day isn't healthy. As a doctor and as experts in this field, is that true? Uh, It's probably not healthy. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I work with a lot of gamers who do do a lot of gaming. Um, So I think sort of sitting in a chair for four hours straight, no matter what you're doing, is probably not healthy. Um, I think in terms of the health impacts, some of it has to do with time, but there are a lot of other things that are a little bit tricky. So one is that when we, you have to remember that a child's brain is developing. So the kinds of stimuli you give it when it's developing are going to form sort of what kind of adult brain it becomes. So one of the biggest concerns that I have around screen time in general is that different kinds of screen time are going to be healthy or unhealthy. So if someone is watching two-minute YouTube clips, their brain is going to get used to shifting attention very rapidly. Versus if you look at something like Sesame Street, like Sesame Street is a 30-minute relatively longitudinal program, which doesn't sort of lead to that attentional shifting because kids are sort of sitting and engaging with one thing at a time. So I think that, um, you know, playing games for four hours, like let's say once a week, I don't think is unhealthy in and of itself. The real question is like, what's the general pattern of play? Is it four hours a day? Because then it's probably not great. You know, when are they playing it? Is it interfering with sleep? Like, I think those are all the other things that we need to kind of be thinking about. How is it shaping someone's, training someone's brain, really? Yeah, and what are they not doing? during those Right, what is it taking them away from? Yeah. And do you look at the quality? Because you were saying there are different types of gamers and Minecraft is different from Fortnite, et cetera, and Sesame Street is different from YouTube. Do you look as parents and as professionals in this space, do you guide parents to look at the content of what the child is consuming very differently, one versus the other? Are there some things we should be staying away from at all costs versus other things that are great and go for it? You know, what 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 do we need to know? So I know there's the speed of how quickly things change. I mean, I know a big one for my audience is the violence, right? Like how violent um, the game is. And I always wonder about that. My son plays Minecraft and he played in creative mode for about a year and then of his own accord found his way into survival. And initially I was like, no way, he's not going to be shooting things at zombies. Whereas at this point it's kind of softened on me and I don't mind it as much. Um, but I am curious, is that a mistake on my part? Like, is that making him, you know, less sensitive to real life violence? I'm just so curious. Violence is interesting. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really hot topic um, right now. And actually, the, the research actually suggests that playing violent video games has a very small, if any, impact on real-world violence. Um, so, you know, if you play like a, a, a game like Call of Duty or Modern Warfare where you're like shooting guns and things like that, it doesn't make you a more violent person. Um, or at least that's sort of the, what the research shows. 
I, I do think, however, you know, you asked a question like, is it important to like sort of understand and watch what your kids are doing? I think absolutely. So the thing that scares me the most is actually not violence in video games, but actually a lot of the communities that they form. So just speaking about concrete tips, so a lot of times parents, kids will use headsets. Um, and, you know, that can be useful for sort of peace of the household, because if, if you're playing a violent video game, there are explosions and things like that, that can be disruptive. But one of the things that I actually encourage parents to do is move from headsets to speakers, because then you get to hear what your child is hearing, because you have a 15-year-old who logs online, there's going to be a 35-year-old misogynist, racist, unemployed guy that he's going to be playing with, I can guarantee you. And so the, the thing that I, I think is really actually scary for parents um, is that, you know, the internet is sort of accepting of everyone, which can be wonderful for like a 15 year old who's got acne, but it also, there are a lot of like really toxic communities out there. Mm. Um, a lot of gamers, you know, are, can be relatively resentful. Um, they sort of feel stuck in life and they can kind of translate some of that, that hatred onto, you know, younger gamers. The interesting thing is the flip side is also true in terms of like, I remember when I was playing uh, video games, you know, I was married and I have kids and sometimes I'll play with like 15 year olds. But the difference is that, you know, when, when that person kind of says like, oh, my mom's telling me to go to bed, I'm going to tell them like, you should listen to your mom. (laughs) You can can get both influences. Yeah. The important thing is, is exactly what you said, which is that parents need to know, right? Like you need to know, like, who is your child hanging out with online? As much as you watch the content, I mean, watch the kid too. And this is video games or YouTube or whatever. There's like that, that look, that glazed overlook where like whatever they're doing on the screen is no longer fun. Like they're just not having fun anymore. They're just kind of zoned out. And that's like a telltale sign that like you kind of need to move on. Mm. Activity. And of course, I mean, like on a plane or whatever, like, you know, there are circumstances to get it. Um, but that's the main thing, right? When, because even gamers will reach that point where they're not having fun anymore. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that's when you really get into kind of the addictive phase. Mm-hmm. So when we first start to play a video game, it releases dopamine in our brain, which makes us, gives us a sense of enjoyment. But over time, actually the scary thing that happens is our brain develops a tolerance to that constant flow of dopamine that, that games give us. And then it becomes a little bit like, immune to the effects of dopamine. So a big problem that I I see with gamers is that if they try to stop playing a game, they try to like go out and read a book or go for a walk, they get bored or they just don't find it enjoyable. And if your kid is playing a lot of, like a lot of games to the point where their dopamine circuitry is being affected and they just feel bored all the time, that's really like a problem. Um, And they probably need like more drastic interventions in terms of like they need like a cleanse or something like that so their brain can rewire. It takes about two weeks for your dopamine circuitry to sort of get back online. Um, and it's almost like if you if you drink caffeine every day, you know, it doesn't keep you up and you kind of need it in the morning. But if you stop drinking for two weeks, you're gonna have a rough couple of weeks and then you're gonna kind of be fine without it. And video games are actually the same way. Hmm. So uh, it, back to the idea of 
being in conversation with our children and understanding what type of gamer they are, what type of game they're playing or video, just video use in general. And we have a lot of parents listening who are very, have very young children. Mm-hmm. So they're at the very beginning of this journey. Um, but even if it's Daniel Tiger, right, uh, that they're watching, I mean, I think a lot of the same ideas still apply just in terms of our relationship with the screen and being in right relationship with technology. Would you, how would you recommend parents set boundaries around it? Um, what, you know, should it be time dependent, day dependent, uh, hours per day? Um, and how do they communicate that in a way that diffuses power struggles as much as possible? Because I know that one of the things that I've struggled with in the past, and I'm actually curious to hear uh, how, you know, what you think of, of my current solution. <laughs> you can grade me on that. But um, one of the things I've struggled with is that, you know, that end of screen time meltdown, uh, the, the kid is completely like melting down at the end of the screen time. Even if you wait till the show is over, you're not disrupting them in the middle. Um, and then dealing with that hangover, this groggy, groggy, mean, right? Just like very angry little child who isn't, you're like, why did I put this on to begin with? It wasn't even worth, worth the 25 minutes of quiet that I got, right? So, you know, I'm just so curious how you, how you recommend parents deal with that type of thing. What kind of boundaries, what kind of conversations around that? Yeah. Would that? That's a great question. Um, so I think the first thing is is to trust your instinct as a parent. So I think if you recognize that like 25 minutes of screen time is going to end up with the child being more irritable, like I think ultimately there's our brain is so sophisticated and your brain is going to be interpreting so much stimuli as a parent and to trust your instinct about what's, you know, what's good and what's bad. Um, and I think at the end of the day, any parent is going to know more of what to do than I will, despite all my years of training. Mm. So the second thing is that I, I think setting firm expectations and sticking to those firm expectations. And the funny thing about this is I think parents actually don't do a great job of sitting, sticking with the expectations that they set upon themselves. So if you tell your kid, um, so one thing that we recommend is to make it like reward-based Mm. So it's not that you get to play for X number of hours a day. It's that both of you sit down and figure out, and this changes depending on the child, uh, the age of the child, but, you know, to sit down and think about, okay, what are your responsibilities? You have to go to, you know, you have to wake up on time so you can go to bed whenever you want to. You have to be rested. Um, you know, you have to eat dinner with the family. You've got to do your homework. You've got to do some amount of like outdoor stuff or exercise. And if you finish all of those things, then you can play video games. And then the tricky thing there is that a lot of times parents, you know, if they sort of, if, if the kid finishes everything and then like it's 2 p.m. on a Saturday and they've got six hours until dinner and they start to play a video game, four hours later, the parent comes in and says, no, you've got to stop. That's going to send a really mixed signal to the child. Mm. That's going to tell the child that like, if you're not going to stick with it, I'm not going to stick with it. Mm. And so I think the, uh, another big thing in terms of, you know, when to stop and sort of dealing with the end of um, kind of the screen time and creating a little monster is, you know, sort of giving them warnings, especially if they're young, about what's coming. Like, we're going to watch one episode and then, you know, we're going to watch, like, we're going to stop in five minutes. We're going to stop in two minutes. And this is the last song, you know, and, and so I think sort of setting firm expectations and then sticking to those expectations. And also to set firm boundaries and to stick to those boundaries. Some practical things that we do for the, specifically for younger kids is, so our four-year-old loves Peppa Pig. Mm-hmm. She'll ask us, is it the weekend yet? Because that 
she gets Peppa Pig on the weekends, right? Mm-hmm. And so she she wakes up early. The young the baby sleeps a little bit later than she does. That's that's kind of her time. That's her Peppa Pig time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know when they want that, you know, we'll like listen to the album or like do the dance moves and like kind of find other forms of that story. So like Frozen, I mean, I'm so tired of the soundtrack. I can't, I can't even tell you, but they have a book, right? Where like, I can do like the five minute Frozen fairy tales and that can be bedtime. So I think it's great to have that kind of love and that joy in that media, but to find other ways of kind of letting her immerse herself in Peppa Pig or Frozen or whatever it is. Oh, and I agree with that so much. I think it's so interesting. And and as kids get older, I think we can do that in more and more ways. Like my son, who's super into Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll build Minecraft models out of Lego and we'll research right. the business behind Minecraft and how they started it. And went to like this class where he learned how to make YouTube tutorials for about Minecraft. So he wants to just consume YouTube tutorials for Minecraft. And I said, well, we can watch them once in a while, but what's really interesting is how to make them. Let's learn that, right? And so we're still talking about Minecraft, but we're accessing it from all different skills and and creativity and drawing Minecraft, or why don't you write me a book about what you love about Minecraft? I think for the kid that plays Minecraft, that's such a great way to channel that energy, right? Because they like to build right? So he likes to create something. So if you show him, how do you create a YouTube tutorial instead of being a passive consumer, be a creator. Yeah. And, and that's why I think, I mean, Avital, I think that's an awesome solution because that's really what we try to get people to do. So I'm working um, right now with a, a young high school student who loves Fortnite because it's really challenging. So he's a stellar student, mm-hmm. um, does really well. And so my solution for him was to actually set him up to go and observe surgery. Mm. And so he, what he wants is like, like algebra just isn't hard enough and isn't challenging enough. So to kind of stick him in an environment where you normally would not stick someone, like you wouldn't think about putting a 15 year old in that environment, but our kids are like, they're getting smarter every year. Yeah. Gamers are especially smart, right? Yeah. So. So there's, there's data that shows that if people gravitate towards video games, part of the reason they do that is because it challenges them intellectually. Like if you think about school, if you, let's say you get a math worksheet and you finish it in 15 minutes and then you have to wait the next day until the next one. It's not responsive, right? Not at all. Yeah, it's it's so static. I get it. Absolutely. And so I think it's actually really impressive, Avital, that you're able to do that because I think a big challenge that parents face is that they just, they don't have time for that, right? It's hard to sit down and really thoughtfully direct your kid in the right direction that you need to go in. Um, and, and so that's really challenging. But I think the, the big lesson I've learned is that especially for like high school students, like treat, treat them like they're 25 in terms of the responsibilities you give them. Yeah. So I set them up with like internships at MIT and things like that, where they're like going somewhere and they're working on like real world problems instead of, cause they, they figure out like how to play Fortnite and they figure out how to optimize everything. They figure out like these wonderful solutions. And they need that reward circuitry too, right? Like yeah. they need that like, mm-hmm. oh, I did something and here's the result. They need to see that outcome. And you, you stick them in the real world and you have your kid actually make a, uh, a YouTube tutorial about Minecraft. And then your child is going to get that reward from like seeing how many you know views he has. And then the other cool thing is you're actually teaching him in this technological age, how can you 
create content and kind of put that out there and sort of, that's amazing, right? Because as a 15 year old, you can do something that 15 year olds around the world or 13 year olds or 18 year olds will be able to see and appreciate. Yeah, I think that's that's such brilliant advice. And I just want to go back to the reward system and I, I want to be mindful of your time. So just um, to, to close this out, but I, you know, I often tell parents that I'm not so into reward systems personally. Like, you know, I don't want to bribe my kids or give them some reward or sticker charts or that kind of thing. But I think for me, this is definitely something that I do. I definitely say, well, have you finished everything you need to get done today? And for me, it's not even so much about like, oh, well, then you'll get the prize of screen time. It's not that it's a prize. It's that that is something that's a recreational like a relaxing behavior. I like to watch, you know, stand up comedy on Netflix. I don't do that all day, every day. I do that when I finished all my work, when my responsibilities are done. And so I think that that's just really good modeling instead of saying, you know, that that you could do it whenever you want, or instead of saying that you can't do it whenever you want, saying there's a time and a place to unwind with a fun game or with a great show. When you're sick, when you're on a plane, fine. But the rest of the time, let's do it when we've, we've gotten everything else out of the way, taking care of your body, given back to the world, studied something meaningful, taking care of your home, you know, offered help to your parents, that kind of thing. When all of that is straight, you know, then I think it's it's a great time for you to do that. Do you still recommend limiting time though a little bit? Because I know that's something that we do in our home. We have kind of screen days. So this is what I wanted to ask you. Maybe we'll close up here. But what we've done is we just said, okay, Sundays and Fridays are days when we use screens. Otherwise we will use them educationally. Like we're researching something for Google or we want to watch a documentary, that kind of thing. Uh, FaceTiming grandparents, etc., for sure. And the odd show, but to actually just sit down and binge for a couple of hours, that's what we do on Sundays and Fridays. And we're actually completely tech free because we keep Shabbat. So we're completely tech free, free on Saturday, including adults. And I just want to touch on that you mentioned, but I think it's just so important to model this. Do you think that's a good way of going about it or should it not be, you know, designated times and days in your opinion? Yeah. So I think that depends on the family, right? So it depends on, on, you know, what the particular needs of your family are. And I think one of the dangerous things about having the right answer, especially as a medical professional, is if I make a recommendation that's not appropriate for a family, it just feels like the parents feel like they're not doing a good enough job. Right. Right. And so like the, the first thing to understand is that each family is going to be different, but that generally speaking, I think that sticking to a schedule is a good idea because it creates expectations around the child. And I think the biggest tantrums get thrown when there are dashed expectations, right? When, when you haven't said anything to your, when your kids started playing video games at 7 PM and you haven't set a boundary and you walk in at 1130 and you say, that's it, we're done. He's going to throw a tantrum. Mm-hmm. But when you sort of set an expectation, like, you know, we have Saturday mornings with Peppa Pig yeah. and, and that's, that's her time to do it. And I think like when you're talking about modeling, like, I, I think that's perfect because what we're trying to teach kids is restraint, mm-hmm. right? Not restriction. We're trying to teach kids that, you know, you can have screen time and video games and things like that. And in terms of, of healthy gamer, like that's our goal is not to create an abstinent gamer, but to create a healthy gamer. The other really subtle and cool thing is that it may start out a little bit like bribery, but as you replace those that those video games with other things that sort of address that child's like psychological drives, they get the same reward from those things. So then that becomes the reward in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Like at some point, you don't have to convince the child to go to martial arts class. The kid wants to go on their own. Sure. Of course. And that's really when you've won. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Cause then it's like, like you're, you're, you're on the same team with your kid. Your kid is doing the things that kind of you want them to do and are also good for them. And they start to recognize the value in that. A hundred percent. Guys, thank you so very, very much for your time. And I love the guilt-free approach here because I think all of us have enough guilt going on anyway. So if anyone is listening to this and thinking, oh no, I screwed it up. We're doing too much. We're doing too little, (laughs) whatever it is. I just want to give everyone permission to just feel okay exactly where they are and that we're all figuring this out together. It's a whole new world. <laughs> and, and you know, if, if the doctors don't have, you know, final answers, then none of us probably do. And that's, that's okay too. We're, we're going to figure it out along with the science and along with the psychology and along with our children who are very unique individuals. So, um, guys, thank you so much. Where can everyone go to find out more about your wonderful work? Sure. Uh, the website is healthygamer.gg. GG is what gamers say um, when they sign Good game. off. Right. Good game. <laughs> yeah. So healthygamer.gg. We've got some parent programs there. Just like you said, like we'll meet you where you are, whether you're, you've got young kids and you just want to get the basics, whether you really think you've got a problem and want to reset, or if your kids are just getting older and you feel like, okay, I just want a little help setting boundaries. Um, we'll meet you where you are and we're happy to do it. Wasn't that so good? I find it so helpful to meet experts who truly are experts. I mean, you know, a psychiatrist who's actually specializing in addiction and in video game addiction particularly, who are so grounded and balanced and not going to be telling us, you know, a be-all and end-all dogmatic idea, but really owning the fact that it depends on the child and it depends on the screen usage and helping us with practical down-to-earth strategies that don't alienate us from tech, that don't make us into technophobes, but also safeguard our children's mental health and our family's health uh, with, you know, the right kind of approach to help us navigate this. As I've said, I am... Honestly, often confused. I have friends who are full-on unschoolers, you know, whole-life unschoolers who have zero, zero, zero uh, limits on screens, and they're okay with their kids doing upwards of, you know, five, ten, even twelve or fourteen hours of screens per day. Um, and I understand where they're coming from, and I respect their choices. And then I have other friends who have uh, zero screen use, and I really mean zero, even with their teenagers. So. I really see the whole gamut there and I respect all these choices, understanding that, you know, it's a complicated topic and we're all trying to navigate it. For me, it comes back to the radical middle uh, that I discussed in a different uh, podcast. You know, the radical middle, the radical choice of trying to straddle both worlds, of trying to sit above uh, prescription and dogma and polarization, but rather really the messy, you know, muddle of the middle, just figuring it out child by child, day by day, month by month, screen by screen, game by game. I will say though that some consistency has absolutely been a key for us, Uh, you know, kind of making a decision together with our children and then sticking to it for a season before we reevaluate has been incredibly helpful. And we do like to err on the side of less screen usage rather than more. So that's it for me for today. I look very much forward to seeing you. We have some juicy, juicy topics all about play and some incredibly exciting announcements about future present play retreats and vacations coming up. So stay tuned. 
And if you found this episode helpful, please don't hesitate to tag Parenting Junkie myself and Healthy Gamer over on Instagram. We would love to hear your opinions, your uh, feedback, and just if this was helpful for you. And of course, share it with anyone else who might be struggling themselves with screen, i.e. every parent. All right. Namaste. Keep on loving parenting and parenting from love.